0: Hi, this is Lori, your host of Happiness Hangout, a space to come and elevate your happiness levels. You, me, and our guests will discuss and help you apply happiness to all aspects of your life, even if you're already happy. Get your daily boost of information to help you feel your best.
1: Well, hi, everyone. This is Lori Peters from the Happiness Hangout. As usual, so glad to be with you as we always bring you great information and guests that help us raise our happiness levels personally and in our relationships. So today I have guest Katherine Hayes. I'd like to tell you a little bit about her. Uh, she says before she started her coaching practice, she spent more than 20 years as a public health dentist, researcher, and academician. She's held numerous leadership positions, including an endowed professor and department chair. She says, after my own experience dealing with a variety of leadership styles, I became interested in learning more about what makes an effective and inspiring leader. On this path, she uncovered a great deal about herself and what was involved to be an effective and inspiring leader. She decided to take what she learned to help others understand themselves more fully. She works with individuals who want to live authentic and fulfilling lives and who are committed to understanding themselves, their behaviors, and reactions. She believes that everyone has inherent leadership potential, whether they're leaders in organizations, within their families, or in their relationships. One of the most important attributes of a successful leader is, of course, self-awareness. Catherine Hayes, welcome to the Happiness Hangout.
2: Thank you, Lori. I'm happy to be here.
1: Well, so glad to to have you here as well. And um, you and I talked before, and I know that you have a new book coming out. So, uh, would you mind giving telling us a little bit uh, about the book, the title, and what it's going to be about?
2: Sure, I'd be happy to. So, the title of my book is Everything's Going to Be Okay, from the Projects to Harvard to Freedom. It's really a, a bit of a memoir, and it's my spiritual journey, and it brings us to the present day. And the title everything's going to be okay, comes actually from an experience I had as a young girl, six years old, was I was walking to first grade by myself through the projects in South Boston where I grew up. And I had an experience where I just had a, a very powerful thought that passed through me, which was, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And it gave me such a sense of peace and calm. And I trusted that. And it was really, it's been a touchstone for me throughout my life. And the subtitle from the project to Harvard to Freedom, I Lived in the projects in Boston for 22 years and worked very hard and got myself to Harvard, got some degrees there, was a faculty member there, and actually had an accident when I was 44 years old where I fell on black ice and hit my head and I was unconscious. And when I woke up from that accident, I had another very powerful message, which was, it's time to change your life. And I embarked on this uh, deep spiritual journey, which took me really into a... a tremendous uh, inner journey of self-discovery and one which I help others to do without having an accident hopefully.
1: Wow that is an amazing life that you've had. I mean just the fact of of kind of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and and saying you know I'm I'm going for it and I'm going to do it that's that's very that talk about inspiring. I mean you said that really in your bio and uh it is truly inspiring to people just that piece alone but then to have the accident and uh and to know that you know you needed to to pursue what your soul had a passion for that's that's pretty big stuff actually yeah
2: yeah i mean i feel very blessed because i i don't know that i even knew that it was time to change my life because when you work so hard and you gain quote unquote, success. That's what society sees as success. But I think my my soul, my inner self knew that there was more that my heart wanted in life. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: sure. And so,
2: you know, in writing the book, partial memoir, and
1: then obviously, um, there's always teachable moments in books. Um, tell us more, you mentioned about the book. Um, what do you want readers to get out of the book?
2: What I would love for readers to get away to to walk away from reading this book is that A, we all have an inner guidance system. You might call it an inner GPS, but there is this part of us that really knows the direction that our life should take in order for us to really live a fulfilling life. And we get we get distracted, we get sidetracked through life and sometimes we get too busy to reconnect with that part of us that really knows. And what I, what I do throughout the book is through my coaching tools and questions for reflection at the end of each chapter, I help people to do some of their own reflection so that they can come back to that part of them that really knows what their course is in life and so that they can get back on that course. So many of the clients that I encounter feel like they've somehow gone off course. And so I help people really reconnect to the truth of who they are.
1: Wow, well, that, that is very powerful and uh i'm sure we'll talk about the book in the end when it's coming out and everything or do you uh, have a date where uh it's coming yes. out
2: um, it's coming out on june 27th
1: great oh that's going to be here before you know it
2: yeah
1: <laughs> oh goodness so uh, i know it's a lot to write a book and you know when we put ourselves out there um, our hope is always that we can can help other people very cathartic for ourselves but it's it's such a big uh, big thing to help other people too. So thank you for writing it. Now I know a lot of your work um, has been around something called the Enneagram, and mm-hmm. we're going to get into that. Really, you know, a lot of our um, work today is going to be around the Enneagram and and what it is and how you can apply it and how it fits to relationships and happiness and all that good stuff. So, so how about starting out by just telling us what is this Enneagram and and like enlighten our readers on what it's about.
2: Absolutely. So the Enneagram is actually a a very ancient wisdom that can actually be traced back to ancient Egypt and ancient Greece. And in fact, I just came back from a pilgrimage in Egypt where we were tracing some of the ancient roots. So it's a very fascinating system, and it's coupled with really modern psychology. And it's really a system for understanding the human psyche, the way we behave, our unconscious patterns of behavior, so that we can really shine the light with a lot of compassion, no judgment, on those patterns for each of us. Because what those patterns do is they represent really our personality or our false self, which is really the much more constricted part of us. Once we can shine the light on our false self, we can really grow into our gift. And the Enneagram is an incredibly powerful tool for that transformation process.
1: Wow, that's very cool. And then uh, where did the Enneagram come from? I mean, how was who was it created by and
2: these are great questions. You... And there's some mystery around the Enneagram. You know, they, so it can be traced back in terms of its roots to the actual there's an actual Enneagram symbol. And the word Enneagram, Ennea means nine in Greek, and gram just means chart. So there's actually a symbol of the Enneagram which has these nine personality types around the chart. Way back in um, the early part of the 1900s, there was a group led by uh, a Russian psychologist named George Gurdjieff. They called themselves the Seekers After Truth, and they they were convinced that the ancients had a map of the human psyche that could actually liberate us from our suffering. And they set out on this quest. And actually, George Gurdjieff is credited with um, uncovering the Enneagram, and uncovering the dynamics within the system to see how it is that this could be a map for human liberation. It was then um, Oscar Chazo, who was in Chile, who took the the work that he had learned from Gurdjieff and actually began to map the actual nine personality types to this chart or this system. And that, that only occurred, even though this is an ancient teaching, that only occurred like in the 1970s. It's really only been brought into the modern world in any you know, expanded way in the past, I would say, about 40 to 45 years. So even though it's very ancient, it's very new. And the history of it and the teaching is that the teaching is such that it was believed that this system would be brought into the world at a time when we were at a kind of a juncture in our human development where we really needed to get back to ourselves and also get back to understanding one another more. There's so much kind of fragmentation in our world these days, and the enneagram is really a way to unite us.
1: Well, I think our our listeners would be very interested to hear um, all about this and and how it applies to them, etc. So, so before I ask you about what how you got into it, can you can you give us like sort of a like a a working definition of an enneagram, and and so. You got, you, you've already kind of explained it, but can you give us more of a, of a definition so we can remember it?
2: Yeah. So maybe maybe giving you an example might be helpful. So the Enneagram itself is this system that incorporates these nine personality types. So let me just take one of the personality types, which is the okay. type one. Uh, they're called, often referred to as the perfectionist or the reformer. Within each of the personality types, there is um, kind of these unconscious patterns of behavior and really a perception, um, an unconscious perception that somehow we have lost something from our true nature or our divine nature. You know, when we think of a brand new baby, everything about them is so pure, pure love, pure joy. They haven't developed their personality yet. They're not reactive to situations, etc. So there's a way that we all have these, you know, perfect qualities of ourselves but the personality perceives that they're missing. So for the type one, the perception of what's gone is a sense of goodness or sacredness. So the type one personality is always trying to be good and um, be seen as good. So these are individuals that tend to be neat and orderly. They tend to have a strong sense of right and wrong. Um, Now, at their best, the personality doesn't have a strong hold. So a perfect example of this is Mahatma Gandhi, who really dedicated his life to truth and justice and equality for people. Now, as the personality takes a stronger hold, that inherent sense of connection to goodness, truth and justice starts to kind of pull away and the personality is trying to recreate it. So people can become very um black and white. They can become this is right, this is wrong, this has to be just so because what it's doing is in a false way reconnecting to reconnecting them to that sense of kind of goodness or sacredness. So there's nine different ways with the nine different personality types that individuals kind of develop this sense of self trying to recreate something that they perceive as lost. But here's the trick, it's actually never lost. And that's a lot of what I talk about in my book is how do we get back to the truth of who we are? Mm, that's a, really some pretty
1: deep stuff. I mean, if you think about it, it so is. I would, I, I would assume that when, um, when you're working with an Enneagram that you pro- before you take it, you probably learn a little bit about, about, or do you not? Do you, do you, I know there's a test for it? There are tests you can take or assessments you can take and once sure. you take one do you that is it then explained um you know what personality type you are and then that de- that definition and information you gave at the end there when is that revealed you know to the person who takes it is it after the, yeah. the assessment
2: it's really after the assessment you know and let me just say that there's no perfect assessment of being in. It's, it's almost impossible because the way the system is, is that even though we have one predominant personality type, we also have aspects of other types. And in any given day, we can kind of move up and down the levels of growth and development depending on what we're dealing with at any given moment. So an assessment is a starting point for the journey of uncovering someone's Enneagram type. What I suggest to people is that they take the assessment and work with someone who has a, a very deep knowledge of the Enneagram to help them really understand it. It may be, for example, in the assessment that they might get two or three types that are pretty close. And when you have someone work through it with you, it becomes more clear. So, just giving an example, as I go back to that type one, when they are at their best, for example, Mahatma Gandhi or others who aren't necessarily running their life from their personality, they actually bring on aspects of another type, which is the type seven, which we can call the enthusiast. These are people who really have a zest for life and they have a real quest for joy and freedom. So when a one is uh, type one personality is doing really well and not so attached to their personality, they bring on these aspects of another type. So that's why the assessment itself can be a little challenging because an individual could be a combination of those two at the moment Uh of taking the test. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, okay. And and so even if you are of the more perfectionist type, you could take on even other roles. Or or do you normally go right towards the seven, the enthusiast, or could you be something else with a main personality of perfectionism?
2: No, that's an excellent question. There is a very... um, a very clear system. So for someone who's a personality type 1, which a perfectionist, they only bring on those aspects of the type 7 at their best. They also bring on, we have what we call wings in the Enneagram. So the type one either side of us. For the type 1, that would be the type 2 and the type 9, because this is a circle. And so those individuals, type 1, will also bring on some aspects of the type 2 personality, which these are people who are very helpful and altruistic, very nurturing and kind. They can also bring on aspects of the type 9, their other wing. These are people who are very peace-loving and want to create harmony in the world around them. So there's some modification of those as well. It is a complex system, but not so complex that it can't be understood. And once people really do land on their type, it opens up a whole new way of living for people. It's so transformational and very freeing of these kind of unconscious patterns we have that we repeat again and again.
1: And um, do you mind um, giving us, maybe letting us know what the nine personality types
2: are? Oh gosh, I'm happy to do that. so the the type one, as I mentioned, is the um, the reformer or the perfectionist. I would just like to say there are also three centers, the head, heart, and belly center. So as I move through these nine types, I'll connect them with a the center as well. The belly center, which is also called the instinctive center, that's our body center, kind of where our instincts live. And so the types in this center are types 8, 9, and 1, and there's a predominant theme there, and that theme is one of autonomy. There's a way in which um, these individuals, in very different ways, as you'll see as I describe them, really are showing uh, the priority in their lives for a sense of autonomy. So for the type 1, as I mentioned, their personality type is recreating that sense of goodness or sacredness, and uh, their autonomy comes from really having that sense of um, goodness, right versus wrong. Um, I'll just go around the Enneagram. So the type two, type two is in the heart center. And the predominant theme in the heart center is how I want to be seen. Individuals of this personality type want to be seen as helpful, gracious, and kind. Because that underlying sense of deficiency or what's missing is a sense of lovability And, you know, being lovable. So they create lovability by being kind to everyone and receiving the love in return. The type 3 is also in the heart center, and they're referred to as the achiever. The underlying sense of deficiency in in the type 3 personality is a sense of having an inherent value. So what they do is they search for that value. Again, I just want to underscore, all of this is unconscious. We don't even know we're doing this. But what Mm. they do is they search for that value externally. Uh, Full disclosure, this is my personality type. So um, I went after, you know, unconsciously knowing that this was my underlying need, I was an overachiever. I got two doctoral degrees. I, you know, worked at Harvard. There was this sense of validation, and I didn't even know that that's what was happening. So it's very unconscious, and that's why it's so important for people to have compassion for themselves when they're working through this system. And seeing that, yes, we developed these patterns because it was really a need that our personality had. So the And and please interrupt me at any time, Laurie, if anything's not clear. Um, Why I am going to stop you just because we're going through all
1: these. Can you tell me what the second one was called again? So the type two is the helper. Helper, that's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I completely, by the way, relate to to the achiever, mm-hmm. because that's okay. exactly what I did. Is it possible um, that you can be a personality type um, at a certain... I know your personality doesn't change. Your behaviors can change, but your basic personality mm-hmm. is there. But once mm-hmm. I work through all that, I'm absolutely yeah. not the achiever. Yeah. No, I wouldn't say that. I, I feel like... I definitely fit to the Achiever when I was younger because I did the same thing, but now I don't feel that way. Is it possible that if you took this at different times in your life, it would change, or would it stay the same no matter
2: what? Yeah, that's such an excellent question. The personality type stays the same, but what changes, Lori, is that within each personality type, there's nine levels of growth and development. So when we're younger and we don't know that what we're doing is achieving, 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 our personality is really kind of running our life. But as we grow and we understand and we look at ourselves and see different patterns that we have and those patterns begin to let go, we move up the levels of health. So the highest uh, level of health for the type 3 achiever is actually authenticity. Um, These are people who are really living their truth in the world. A a great example of this is someone like Oprah Winfrey who – She really pulled herself up by the bootstraps, worked really hard, and as she became more and more, you know, herself and living the world from her true loving self, she became of great service to the world. And so she can inspire people because she is so strong and courageous, but she's no longer doing it for her, you know, achievement. She's doing it in service to the other. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, now that makes complete sense, so every one you're you can you're going to move up as you grow, yes. I would take exactly. it so, and it is it exactly. is interesting to hear um someone that we might all know as an example of that personality type because I felt more um that I had a lot of one before, and now mm-hmm. I have a lot of two. but now it makes sense that you are what you are, but then as you grow, Um, Mm -hmm. it goes in a certain direction. So you're not all over the place with all these personality types. You have one, but you grow grow Mm -hmm. through those nine levels of it if you you choose to.
2: Exactly, exactly. And what that does is it allows us to kind of bring on the inherent gifts of our type because the Mm -hmm. personality is not running our whole life, but our true essential self is on board, and the gifts really shine Mm -hmm. through.
1: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So, so we're on number three. So you were headed to the fourth personality
2: type. Yep. So number four is also in the heart center. Again, the predominant theme being how I'm seen. The disconnect that the type four personality is trying to overcome is a disconnect from a sense of identity or individuality. We actually call the type four the individualist. So there's a need to, for the personality to distinguish itself and to to stand out in some way. What happens with the type four is because there's a sense of really who am I, there's a sense that they have that they don't belong, they don't fit in. So often what the personality does is it creates the sense of uniqueness or specialness so that they can stand out, and that gives them the sense of identity. But what happens is they go up the levels of development is – their inherent gifts are they have an amazing gift of intuition. They have an incredible ability to perceive and appreciate beauty. And they, um, they are incredibly perceptive and sensitive. So a very healthy type four, for example, they're very creative. So a lot of our artists, poets, painters, writers are mm-hmm. type fours because, again, at the highest level, very often those gifts are brought out in service to the world. And so our writers, our painters, they share this perception of beauty that they have in their writing and their painting. And we all get to appreciate it, right?
1: Right. Oh, right. Very cool. Okay. So we've got four there. And then what else do we
2: have? So now we move into the head center with types five, six, and seven. So in the head center, the predominant theme is trying to get a sense of kind of understanding reality and a sense of where is their support The type five, these are very brilliant people, Einstein, Stephen Hawking, these are really, really smart people. We call them the investigator. They tend to really want to understand things very deeply, and they become experts. Their underlying disconnect is from a sense of actually being capable of being in the world. These people, in general, tend to be very shy, maybe introverted. As they move up these these nine levels that I described, they actually... Typically, they become experts in some area. That expertise gives them some confidence. That helps them to step into the world more fully, and they Mm -hmm. actually become wonderful teachers. One of my teachers in the Enneagram is Ross Hudson. He's an example of a Type 5 who's really developed an amazing um, capacity with the Enneagram, and he's really one of the most respected teachers in the world. They're lovely Mm -hmm. people. The type six, also in the head center, um, we call them the loyalists. These are people that are incredibly dutiful. They will get the job done. They will never let you down. What their underlying sense of disconnect is a sense of groundedness or support. So instead of sinking back into that sense of, you know, kind of the benevolent holding of the universe, the personality believes that they have to recreate a sense of security or safety. So the personality is always kind of playing this what if game you know, working out all this troubleshooting. In fact, Russ often says that, you know, people of this type suffer from PTSD, but pre-traumatic stress disorder because they create a lot of anxiety in their life about anticipating things that could go wrong, whether or not it's it's even going to happen. And so their liberation comes from really sinking back into that sense of, we we are held, you know, there is a sense of support in the universe. And we can trust others, and we can trust life. And then they just bring on this beautiful ability that they have to bring consensus and connection in the world. These are lovely people who you can completely rely on. The type 7, which rounds out the head center, I referred to them a moment ago in discussing the type 1. They're called the enthusiast. Their disconnect, the perceived disconnect that the personality has is a disconnect from a sense of joy or freedom. the personality is always seeking joy and freedom. These people look like they're the life of the party, and they do big things in the world. They're visionaries. They're brilliant people. But underlying that is some sense of anxiety of, I want to make sure that this relationship, this job, whatever it is, is the right one to give me the most freedom. So they often have this anxiety of like having kind of one foot in and one foot out, always searching for the next best thing. Mm. And now we move back into the Belly Center, where I started with Type 1, the Type 8. The Type 8, the underlying disconnect is from a sense of being in control. So their personality fears that they're not in control. So they're always creating the sense of control around them. Mm -hmm. And at their best, they're wonderful leaders. Mother Teresa is a great example of this. Very strong person in service to the world. When, they're, when their personality takes more of a hold and they're not at the healthiest levels, they can be bullies. We often call them the challenger. But at their best, they're incredible leaders. So when the personality isn't feeling threatened and needing to be in control, they actually can really bring people along. They have an inherent strength that they bring to the world. The type 9 is also in the body center. Again, the theme here is of autonomy. The type nine, their sense, the personality disconnect is from a sense of oneness or unity that we we all have, but we forget as we go through life. And so the personality here is always wanting to create a sense of peace and harmony. And so that what what happens is they often can ignore what's going on. You know, there could be a, a fire outside, and they're you know saying. Oh, how's the soup? They don't want to look at the difficult things in life because they want to keep that peace and harmony. And again, all of what I've described with all these nine types, Lori, these are unconscious patterns. And that's why the Enneagram is such a wonderful tool for waking people up. It helps to shine the light on these unconscious patterns so that we can move up those levels of health and have the personality have less of a hold on our behaviors.
1: It's so interesting because... When you describe these, um, I, I'm wondering if people are feeling like I am where you think that's me, that's me, and then you go, "Ooh, yeah. that's really me too. That's me, that's mm-hmm. me. If, if it's unconscious, mm-hmm. well, I think, you know, I thought I was the achiever. I'm conscious of it now. I'm, I wasn't conscious of it when I was younger. So mm-hmm. um, I can't, and I feel like I fit into several... A couple of those categories. So it sounds to me like you really have to take the assessment because you, you aren't, you have a primary one. So I would yeah. imagine that people can't sit here and predict which, which one. Sometimes they can, I would think, but often yeah. they can't because
2: you're not sure. That's, that's very true. And, and I will say that we, we all have all nine types within us, but one of them is very predominant. And sometimes it's it's very clear just from having a discussion or going to a workshop. But I do believe that taking the assessment, with the caveat that it's there's no perfect assessment, but with the understanding that it's a great starting point for our journey of self-discovery using the Enneagram. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean it. it you know, I, I was one who was very into. There's Briggs type indicator and how deep that can go. But this is, you know, that was very fun to do. And I I really became very enthralled with it many years ago. But this is, this Mm -hmm. is fascinating. I mean, when you think about how far it goes back and the depth of it and et cetera, and also the fact that when you're primarily one personality, you have, what did you call them? Wings? Like you've got a couple other areas that fit with it. Mm
2: Mm-hmm, exactly. So we're so, influenced so. by the type on either side of us. We're also influenced by a type that we move toward when when we're doing very well. We also are influenced by a type that we move to during stress. So it is complex. Mm-hmm. But once the light shines and people really see their Enneagram type, it is incredibly freeing. I have seen so many people really transform their lives with this understanding.
1: Well, I imagine that they would. So... Um So now the big part is, you know, here you, you take the assessment, you really need somebody to explain all the facets of it. What happens in terms of applying it to life? Like when we're talking of, you know, in your bio we talked about how can you take your personality type, whichever one you might be, and how do you apply it to work, relationships, and love, which is part of that, and, and, and uh, being your highest self and, and all the things, that have, being a great family member, all those things, how, how does it get applied or how, um, I'm not sure how to ask the question, but what does it mean to all those things?
2: Sure, no, I, it's, it, for me, that's one of the most important things is that I'm just, when we understand ourselves, when we understand our unconscious patterns, let's take, for example, the type eight, that underlying fear is a fear of not being in control, when we're unconscious to that, when we don't know that that's what's operating in our lives, and we keep getting kind of this feedback from the world that gosh, you're tough to deal with, you're being a bully, and we don't even know we're doing that. The, when we ha- when we have the light shined on that again with a lot of compassion, we can say, oh my goodness, that is how I show up in relationship. So when we're, we're not aware of our reactivity, we can be very uh, you know explosive and reactive in relationships. When we are more present to knowing what's happening happening for us internally in a relationship, when we understand ourselves better, we bring our best self forward. You know, we're at the higher levels of health. And what that does, even, you know, we can't change other people, but when we show up as our best self, everyone benefits. And that includes in our, you know, personal relationships, in our work relationships, And I do use this with leaders because I think it's so important for people in leadership roles to be able to bring their best self, because when they do that, they bring out the best in others.
1: Well, sure. Um, That's really – and, and, you know, I am – boy, do I wish I would have taken the right assessment. (laughs) 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 And 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 I'll be open with our audience. I – I took the wrong piece, I think, is what I did. I didn't, I, didn't, I was all ready to, to talk about my type, and then I went ahead and took the wrong piece or something, right?
2: It was the instinctual, there's a whole other layer um, called the instincts that we all have as well, and so I think you took that aspect of the assessment. Oh, of, gosh. Not the personality. Oh, That's
1: okay. Well, <laughs> you've talked quite a bit about your personality type, and um and so have you consciously worked through the nine pieces of the achiever personality type? And, and and has it? I'm sure it's changed your life, or I guess I'll ask, how has it changed your life?
2: It's definitely changed my life. I mean, at the time that I was um, working, working, working so hard through life, I wasn't realizing why I was doing that. I mean, it just was my natural way of being. When I had that accident, what, interestingly, what's happened um, after the uh, accident, I couldn't work for a couple of weeks, and I wasn't used to not working. Well, that first day at home after the accident, um, I couldn't even read the newspaper because when you have a bad concussion, your brain just needs to rest. And I remember feeling it was such a quiet and relaxing day. And I thought, gosh, this is kind of nice. This is probably what normal people do who don't run around crazy, you know, working their tails off. And I don't know that I set out and said, okay, I better change my life because that's the message I got. But somehow, something changed within me. And it it became less important to have so many degrees and titles and, you know, big positions. That just seemed to take on less importance. What was more important was for me to really follow my heart and really understand what I really wanted to do out of, in life. I've always been someone who people have come to for advice. I've always just had kind of a, a maternal and nurturing aspect. I was a professor for so many years and had so many young students that I worked with and advised and counseled. And for me, I just naturally gravitated towards coaching. I actually met my Enneagram teacher, Russ Hudson, one year to the day after my accident, one year to the day. Wow. And I know, I know. It's pretty amazing. And there's another synchronicity. After I took a weekend workshop with him, which was fascinating, I had studied the Enneagram just a little bit some years prior, but the way Russ taught it was such a much deeper dive, and I had some awarenesses. And I remember going back to my office. I was a faculty member at Harvard. Going back to my office that Monday, feeling like I was just so kind of constricted and had come from this kind of vast world of understanding so much more about human nature. And I went online to find Russ's book that he mentioned called The Wisdom of the Enneagram. What I found on their website that was that they had these longer workshops, five and six day workshops. So I went online to see what the dates were and see if I could register. The next, I live in Boston. The next workshop was in San Francisco. Now, this has never happened to me before or since, but I had an open airline ticket to San Francisco because I was working oh, on a consulting wow. project. I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so I took that as a sign, and I went to that long workshop, and that was incredibly, uh, incredibly life-changing. And I just became more and more in touch with what was really in in my heart and not what was expected of me in society. You know what I mean? It was more about living my life for me instead of having to prove that I had value.
1: Well, i got to tell you, I'll be shocked if I'm not an achiever. Because your story is my story, but with oh. different details.
2: Yeah. You know i
1: yeah. i use I use degrees to some point, like you did, but then I just mm-hmm. I stopped at two masters. But I did other things in life to. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, what I really feel at the time was to validate my worth. Is how I assume Absolutely. it was. I was going, 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 and I had no idea why. For a mm-hmm. long time and um, was going just a million miles an hour and doing accomplishing all these things and and the outcome of that as you grow is ex- is exactly what's happened to me and again, our details are very different, but mm-hmm. I, I I'd be shocked if I was something else, but you never know yeah. um, <laughs> you know like <laughs> I said until you answer, but it feels like it might be
2: sure it certainly sounds that way, Laurie,
1: yeah. So that's very interesting. So, of course, when when you are a certain personality type, it does permeate out to the world, and it looks a certain way, and it affects every part of your life, um, including mm-hmm. other people. And that's what we talk about a lot at the Happiness Hangout, our, our relationships. So, you know, once you begin to know yourself, then obviously mm-hmm. you can attract people to you that fit with, you know, what what you about well, what you really want out of life. Yeah. Um, so you become yeah. clearer, at least I did.
2: Absolutely. I just wrote a blog on, on this today about the Enneagram and relationships and how <laughs> when we understand ourselves um, more fully, we bring ourselves into that relationship more fully, and therefore we know what what serves us best and what doesn't, which is really important.
1: Do you find um in, in terms of since you wrote a blog on it, I'll I'll ask if this is something that's that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times there are experts out there that say, you know, obviously our our the relationship we're in, especially a loving partnership, they can be a mirror to us and, you know, yeah. show us what we need to work on. Um you might attract a certain kind of person to you. Do you find, is there any sort of, um, of of type that, say, an achiever might gravitate towards as far as a partner, or is could that be anybody just depending upon who we are? So like Lori, the achiever, which I assume, Catherine, mm-hmm. the achiever, and uh, say Susie, the achiever, would we gravitate towards the same type of needs in a relationship?
2: yeah it's a good question. Um, I think when we're less when we're less aware of our underlying kind of unconscious um, deficiency or perceived fear that we have, uh, for example, for the type three, it's about worth, demonstrating worth, it may be that they're more attracted to people that are successful as well, so they're seen as successful. What I have seen with my clients is for the type four, there is this um, kind of inherent sense that they have, before they uh, really dive deeply into this, they have an inherent sense of not belonging, not fitting in. And what I find is they draw people to their lives that kind of feed that uh, insecurity of not belonging. And so they tend to draw these relationships that are not really serving them well, when they wake up to the fact that, gee, I really do have all these wonderful gifts, and I do fit in, and I do have an identity they don't necessarily draw those same relationships. So I believe that as we grow and as we understand ourselves better and as we let go of some of the unconscious behaviors that are holding us back, we automatically begin to attract to us others who are also on their path of growth and aren't necessarily kind of feeding our ego structures but are really kind of complementing our true essential selves.
1: That's that's just amazing you said that because as I was growing you know I wrote a book about kind of a memoir like you said a memoirish mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me and and it was about all my t- tumultuous relationships and I, yeah. I tell it with a sense of humor and um, and I absolutely fit what you said about what I wanted and then eventually you know I didn't get married till I was 53 which was about nine months ago and what i always say to myself is, what's that
2: congratulations
1: thank you and what i always say to myself is i finally figured it out you know mm-hmm. i needed somebody who took care of my heart that was the number one where before it was things that um as you described um wanting you know certain things that that maybe weren't the uh, coming from the heart but coming from the ego mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um And, you know, that's funny because I joined a sorority when I was young and um, talk about, you know, wanting to fit somewhere when you're feeling like somewhere deep inside you've got something going on that doesn't feel right and then of course you know I went all the way up to one level under the national presidency I ended up being on the (laughs) national board because guess what that's what we do right
2: (laughs) right exactly exactly (laughs) it's so
1: funny how it fit perfectly to it um and of course I have the love of the organization in my heart but I know (laughs) there's an underlying you learn about yourself and go boy you know, um, I'm traveling down this path and getting these degrees and doing these things. And I always said I'd rather get an, and I'm a college instructor, so I could feel that. Mm-hmm. I use the analogy of grades. I said, I would rather get an F than a C. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's kind of, that's probably the, the, uh, the old overachiever's mindset, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> give me the F I don't want to be average you know let yeah, me really stuff yeah. or let me be great and let's try for the great you
2: know so there you go that's oh great.
1: so funny so I, I I would imagine people's interest is peaked in terms of um, you know how deep you can go with this what you can learn I'm I mean I think what people would love to not just know their personality type and what other types you know, fit in with their main and also the nine areas, you know, of growth to walk through and and where you are and where you've traveled to. Um, I would imagine if I would have taken something like this at 25 or 30 versus, you know, understanding it later in life, boy, it could
2: really be a great tool
1: um, to help you really move through the process of being your best self
2: absolutely it's a it's a beautiful tool for transformation and and helping us you know to, to live more freely in the truth of who we are and not in mm-hmm. that kind of uh, incessant patterning that that we developed in our younger life mm-hmm. and so when you
1: um, learned about the Enneagram um, were you surprised at your personality type of achiever and and when you went through those nine phases were you Um, if you don't mind sharing, if I'm going, you know, too personal, let me know. But Where were you and where did you, you know, where did you start in the the learning of that?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. When I first studied the Enneagram, and I wouldn't say I studied it deeply, but in the early 90s I was first exposed to it, Um, I thought I was a type 4 because I had a sense of really not belonging in my family. But, you know, the most predominant type to be mistyped is type four because a lot of people feel like they don't belong. It was when I had the workshop with Russ the year to the day after my accident, the way he taught the Enneagram, I had some inkling of a connection to a type three, but I don't think I was quite ready to accept that I was a type three. And I remember saying to Russ, well, I'm a type four, but I've had to live my life as a three. And he was, mm-hmm, yeah, just nodding because they don't really, we don't really like to just tell people their type because it's really more a journey of self-discovery. When I went to that longer workshop in San Francisco and as I spent more time listening to him and he taught in a very deep way, it was so clear to me that that was my type, that I had spent my entire life really trying to prove myself and you know, coming from the projects, um, lived there for 22 years. I, both my parents suffered from psychiatric illness. So there was a lot of kind of overcoming, right? And yeah. so when I realized that they, that's what I was doing, it was actually, I have to say, I don't think I've ever cried so deeply in my life, like looking like, oh, my goodness, I've spent my whole life just trying to prove myself. And I. So really you thought you were the three, at...
1: but you're actually the four? You thought you were the
2: achiever, no. but you
1: really the Or it's the other no, way? No, I
2: am the, achie- the other way. I thought I was the four, but I, it, there's no question that I'm the three, the achiever. I'm kind okay. of like the textbook You thought you were the individualist? Okay. You, yes. And what, what can happen with the Enneagram is that, because it's kind of tender territory. Sometimes it takes some time for people to really land on their type because we don't necessarily want to see, like, oh, my gosh, that's what I do. Oh, my gosh, I've done that all my life. It can be a little um, confronting and, and challenging, but once, that's why it's so, so important to hold it with a lot of compassion. And once you know, I had this wonderful teacher, Russ, teaching this, and it it just opened me up to this truth of how I was living my life. And also opened me up to the fact that, which is what happens with type threes, is that we tend to abandon what's in our heart in service to just achieving and achieving and getting that kind of recognition. And so the sadness really comes from, oh, my gosh, I've really disconnected from my heart. And, and it's actually what you, what you said as well, Laurie, and it's that reconnection to our heart for the type three, which is really the journey of growth.
1: Very much so. You know, like, I have to constantly remind myself, because I I still continue to work, is, you know, like book sales. I, I mm-hmm. Someone said, you know, I'm taking this intuition class, and someone said, you have to learn to let go of the numbers sometimes. You have to let go, I have to sell this much. I have to have mm-hmm. this many clients. I have to... And realize you're putting good out to the world. It's going to get in the hands of people who need it. But when you're so attached, because as an achiever, I'm really kind of attached to that. And I thought, boy, sure. that takes some of the edge off. And I don't mean to just yeah. talk about myself. I'm sure there's lots of our listeners out here who feel like they're connected more to the enthusiast or the challenger, the loyalist, whatever it might be, the peacemaker. Yeah. Oh, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the helper yeah. <laughs> too. Boy, I, um, with my students, I teach in social work, and my students, mm-hmm. I can see that a lot of them are the peacemaker, the helper. Uh, sure. There are lots of different things, but um, yeah. I, I'm all I know, so it's, it's you, you really see those things. You, no matter how good you think you've gotten at something, you're always learning. And do you find, I find that sometimes I slip back, even though how much I've grown, I, I slip back a little bit, and I have to be reminded, like, wait, you're past this, Lori,
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's it's really the the human journey. Really, we, you know, we do a lot of work, we grow, but we can get just kind of drawn back into some of these patterns. And I, I can certainly relate to that with you know being the achiever, you know, wanting this book to really sell. And then like, I've really told myself, I've been so guided to write this book, and I know that uh, those who read it, it's my hope that they get inspired by it. It's my hope that it will help people to free themselves in some way. Um, And I think that, so here's the the trick. When we're more present to our reactions and our behaviors, they don't run our lives unconsciously. So we might slip back, but we catch ourselves, right?
1: Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah, and, and then we kind of bounce back again.
1: Right, that's very true. So, well, I want to use a little bit of time we have left for you to, first of all, remind us of the title of the book and where we'll be able to get it. I know it's coming out June 27th.
2: Yeah, so the book's coming out on June 27th. Uh, It'll be available on Amazon and all the major distributors. uh, being published by Inspired Living Publishing with Linda Joy. So everything's going to be okay, from the Projects to Harvard to Freedom, uh, will be coming out on June 27th and it it will be available, and I'll have it on my website as well. My website is CatherineHayesCoaching.com. Okay.
1: Okay, wonderful. And then as as far as the Enneagram, um, obviously there's assessments out there, and I take it that people can reach you to really dig into the assessment. How would a person go about all of that?
2: Yes. So one of the assessments that I think is one of the best ones out there is the assessment that, is put up by the Enneagram Institute. So it's enneagraminstitute.com. And if they go on there and it says take the, uh, it might say take the assessment or the READY, which stands for Riso Hudson Enneagram Type Indicator. Don Riso and Russ Hudson are the two that developed it. Russ is uh, my teacher. Don was also my teacher. Sadly, he has passed away. But he's certainly left his mark in my heart and the hearts of many others and in the Enneagram world. When they take that assessment, it costs $12. They'll get a PDF with their results. And I am happy to review results with people. They can contact me. They can go on my website and there's a contact button or they can just hit info at com. And I set up consultations with people and help them really walk through the results. And I do it, as I said, with a lot of compassion. There's no judgment here. It really is about helping people to really become more aware and awake to some of these unconscious patterns because then it frees them to really bring on those wonderful gifts that we all have.
1: Absolutely. And for people who don't know, Enneagram is E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. So they should take the test through the Enneagram Institute.
2: Yes, that's what I recommend.
1: Okay. Wonderful. So they can go on your website, and that's Catherine with a C, Catherine Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S, coaching.com, correct?
2: Correct. Thank you, Lori.
1: Oh, sure. Absolutely. Anything else you want us to know?
2: I just would would encourage people to explore this uh, opportunity to really transform their lives and live more freely and understand with a lot of compassion the truth of who they are.
1: Very beautiful, and that's really what I think we're here to do. um, Is under when we understand ourselves better, we put ourselves out to the world. That's what what we're we're really about at the Happiness Hangout, and that affects every part of your life. And even though you know we talk about relationships, a lot of what we do here permeates into a person's entire life. So, so this has been very interesting. Um, I've enjoyed very much, and I'm sure our listeners will uh, have as well. And you know, we are um, we go through podcasting, so we go out to Stitcher, Blueberry, and iTunes. So, Catherine, a lot of our listeners will be listening after this, so um, that that will happen later. So, don't be surprised um, if that Mm -hmm. does. And uh, I've really enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you so much for. Um, bringing your gifts to us and, and putting it out there and people can come to you and, and see what what your writings are all about and get coaching and and get, get to the point where they are their best selves. So thank you again for that and for the work that you do.
2: Thank you so much, Lori. It's been such a pleasure to share my passion with you and your listeners. Thanks so much. You're so welcome.
1: Thank you. This is Lori Peters from the Happiness Hangout. Are you looking for dating coaching? Are you looking to read great articles and information around happiness and relationships? Go on over to happinesshangout.net. You can learn about all different kinds of great information through, again, readings on my blog, my free resources, videos, and my book, Getting Married at Last, My Journey from Hopelessness to Happiness. If you are out in the world of dating again, and you would like to be your best self, and or you don't know what to do as far as dating, I can be your dating coach. I specialize in working with women 35 and older, but if we're a fit, I'm happy to work with anyone.
0: Hi, this is your host, Lori. Want to get more happiness? Check out all the free readings, activities, and my blog at my website, Want to learn how to deal with life's challenges from your positive core? Check out Empowering Yourself to Happiness class, done totally online. You can find it all at www.happinesshangout.net. www.happinesshangout.net. Come explore and feel better wherever you are. This is Lori Peters with the Happiness Hangout. I provide presentations on happiness and well-being to businesses, schools, and anyone involved in wellness and professional days. Check out tons of free resources and activities also at my website, www.happinesshangout.net. Feel better wherever you are. us grow the happiness hangout show become a sponsor businesses and nonprofits get your info out there to thousands of my listeners all over the world for just pennies individuals can also sponsor one or more shows and you get a shout out to your favorite charity several packages available come see what you get and put out there what's important to you go to www.happinesshangout.net www.happinesshangout.net for more information.